Let's jump in. All right. So uh, last week we discussed that God's family, this is the final point that we talked about in uh, last week's sermon, is the reality that God's family is characteristically victorious, right? We are victors. We are more than conquerors, right? Uh, We looked at the fact that this uh, truth came from 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All right. So our victory is over the sinful forces present in this world. We talked about this, and I know I'm rushing right in, but there's a reason, all right? Our victory is over the sinful forces. We are not just victorious because we will spend eternity in heaven. We are victors now, and we have the ability to say no to sin and no to the forces that are pressing against us. Our victory is evidenced when we exercise our faith in Jesus. When we actually exercise our faith... We are, we are demonstrating this victory because in the very act of saying no to sin and no to those uh, influences upon our life, it is, care, it is uh, uh, declaring our faith in Jesus and the power of God working in and through our lives. Our victory is anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This, the person. He's the Son of God. We're going to focus on that in just a moment as we get into verse 6 through 12. Um, but His work, the, what He did on the cross, and we focused on that uh, uh, last week. We're going to focus on it again in the sense if you didn't uh, grab one of the uh, containers that has the, the bread and the, the juice in it, make sure you grab that for uh, we'll, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper at the end of our time together today. Uh, but we looked at this, and, and in this verse it says, who is it that overcomes the world? And folks, if you call yourself a Christian today, that's you, right? Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know what I had to say about that? It's not the wrong slide for me to say that. But somebody says, eternal life is found only in Jesus, all right? This is the truth. This is the focus of what John is trying to communicate in the previous passage, but also this one. He's saying, eternal life is found only in Jesus. And so I have a question. This was the slide. Can I get a witness? All right? Some of you are like, what? Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, I've been part of churches, you know, attended churches, especially as a chaplain. I would go and, you know, and the preacher would be up there. Can I get a witness? Amen, brother. All right, tell, speak it. Preach it. Uh-huh. Right? All those great terminologies. And uh, what does that mean, can I get a witness? Well, it means will someone give testimony that what I just said is true? Will somebody acknowledge the truth that was just spoken. Now, if it wasn't true, don't amen it. Don't, don't give a witness. But I, I, I'm introducing this to, to bring your attention that the words witness and testimony that are used in the text that we're going to look at today come from the same root word in Greek. Now, I don't normally do this, but I thought I'd show you the Greek today. All right? That's the word, maturion, uh, maturio, uh, there in the middle of the circle, and, uh, and this is the, how many times it's used in the, uh, in the New Testament as a whole, the different meanings that it might have. And you can look at those and testify, bear witness, testimony, good testimony, uh, witness, witness, pretty consistent, all right? Uh, I think it's used like 77 times in the Bible, uh, I think. Uh, this is just in 1 John. It's only used in two ways, and it means to testify approvingly. That's important for our text. And to bear witness, which is also important for our text. It's used a total of 10 times in, in, um, in the passages that were in the passage 6 through 12 that we're looking at today. All right? So here's uh, 1 John 5, 6 in the Greek. 
all right? So I do this not to impress you, not to make you feel guilty that you don't understand what this says, because I have to study it myself, but I wanted to show you this, and that didn't go very well. It's supposed to be yellow highlight, all right? So don't ask me why. It's, a, it's the transition from PowerPoint into this program. But every one of those blank spaces, apparently, represent the word uh, that we're talking about. As, and, and look how many times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I can tell you there's ten times. It's really annoying that that did that. Um, it didn't, doesn't do that until I put it on this system. All right, so I, I don't know why that is. But uh, ten times this is used. So I decided to put it in the English for you. The same blank spaces. All right, really annoying. All right, it could have been so effective for you to understand. John has a fascination with this idea of giving testimony, of testifying, of providing a witness. And so when he asked, can I get a witness? In, five, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, John says, he's telling us that there are three witnesses. Three witnesses which give testimony about Jesus. And, and so we're going to look at these three witnesses and what they are. He says in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit of the, is the one who testifies this, because the Spirit is true. So let's, let's look at this. First of all, this is he. Well, who is he? Jesus Christ is he. He is the one who came. This idea of the word come is important. It's not that he's coming. Jesus Christ is coming. This is establishing from John's perspective, his perspective as he's speaking to his uh, recipients of his letter. He's saying there is this particular person, and he identifies him as Jesus Christ. He came. He has come. It's a historical past event. And, and this is important because, remember, part of the context of 1 John is he's addressing false teachers. And there were teachers who did not profess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. All right? This John is establishing that, no, Jesus Christ is who we're talking about, and he came. And he came in a very specific way. He said he came by water, and he also came by blood. Now, what, is, what does John mean by this? So in, the, in the day that he was living and writing, uh, they may have had a better understanding of what this text actually means, him coming by water and blood. Uh, what is John trying to communicate? There's multiple views of this, and I'm just going to walk through them quickly this morning. First view is that, and not, not in rank of any order whatsoever, but that the water and blood coming from Jesus' body from the cross. In other words, when the water and the blood flowed, uh, as recorded in the Gospels, right, when they pierced him with the spear, and you had, uh, notice the word order in the Gospels is different. It said, blood and water uh, came out of his body. Now, I actually sat through a, a presentation on this years and years ago, and it was fascinating. Uh, and there is, actually is a brother in Christ who is struggling with pleurisy as we speak. And pleurisy is water uh, that is, I think, I think it's surrounding the heart. And uh, with all, the, all that Jesus Christ went through and his scourging and his crucifixion, when the blood came out, that's what comes out of the body, right? Blood. But water also came out, which was a medical condition because of all that he had gone through. So some people believe that that's the reference. Uh, that is not what I believe it to be. Um, and so we'll, we'll get uh, to what my view is here in a moment. But uh, the water and the blood, all right, 
possible, you know, it may, it may refer to that. Secondly, water and blood represent the sacraments slash ordinances. Much of church, uh, Christian churches refer to the ordinances, what we call ordinances, sacraments. So I threw both terminology up there because many who have a sacramental view kind of hold this view that the, uh, the water and the blood represent Jesus' baptism in the Lord's Supper. It re- doesn't just represent them specifically, because that's actually what I'm going to present to you, is that they do represent baptism and the Lord's Supper. But the body and blood, or excuse me, the water and the blood do not represent the sacraments. They do not represent the ordinances. That's reading into the text. That's reading church history into the text. That's not John's focus. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper or baptism here. Uh, Another view is that the water represents Christ's birth and the blood represents Christ's death. Uh, That would be as in water, as in when a a woman, a pregnant woman, uh, breaks her water, right? That is what the water here is like. Is it talking about his actual, the process of his birth? Uh, And then obviously the blood, we would say, represents his death because we recognize that in uh, the Lord's Supper. But as we talk about water representing Christ's birth and blood representing Christ's death, again, John's not focused on that aspect. He is focused on the humanity of, of Jesus. So in one sense, this, this could have some... And this is the one I actually grew up believing because uh, I had never studied it growing up. And, and uh, I, I often thought that's what it was talking about. That's not the view that I'm holding to. Uh, this is the view that I hold to. And this is the one that's probably uh, most... I won't say there's nothing unanimous uh, when it comes to this, but I'd say most uh, conservative scholars would, uh, would hold to water represents Christ's baptism, inaugurating his earthly ministry, and blood represents Christ's death, culminating his ministry. So if that is what John is communicating here, then, then we'll keep this in our mind as we're going through the text, all right? Because he's talking about something very specific. He says... This is he who came by water and blood. Well, what water and blood? Uh, well, the ones we just described, and it's this Jesus Christ is the one in focus. He says, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, what, he's, uh, what you might want to take note of is the word the before water, blood, and, and uh, water and blood. These are very specific events that John is bringing to our attention. He's saying it's not just water as in uh, a woman... Uh, 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 water breaking when she's uh, getting ready to have her baby, right? That's, that's not in the focus, because he's talking about a very specific water. It's the water, and it's the blood. It's very specific, and it's unique to Jesus Christ. And so we have to, these are evidences, these are testimonies. John has said from the beginning, he's giving a testimony of the things we've seen, hear, heard, touched. He's like, I'm giving you testimony about Jesus. He's the Son of God, and he did become a man. So he was birthed. But he's saying here, John is emphasizing, it's not just the water, but by the water and the blood. And so let me just pause here in case I don't have a slide for this. If I do, I'll just skip it when I get there. But it's the idea, there was some agreement at some level on the water. If if you were to uh, engage in a conversation with somebody and maybe have a disagreement or a conflict, right? You can sit there and say, it's, uh, we're talking about Jesus Christ. He came by water. Well, if this represents baptism and the fact that uh, Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, I do have that verse here in just a moment. If, if, we, if, we, if we're talking about that, the, the false teachers apparently agreed with John on that and agreed with 
Uh, the, the idea that his ministry, Jesus' ministry, began at his, his earthly ministry, not that he became the Son of God at that moment. There are people who believe that. That is not what the Bible teaches. John 1 tells us very clearly that Jesus uh, the son of, is the Son of God who preexisted eternally, right? But here we have this idea that the baptism of Jesus Christ uh, is the inauguration of his earthly ministry. That's when it became public. Remember John the Baptist. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? So, so uh, he's talking about something very specific. Uh, so what is John trying to communicate? John is calling three witnesses to testify about Jesus. Now, we understand the idea of witnesses and testimony, and maybe you've been in court, and, and so you can have that, that imagery going through your mind as we go through this. But the three witnesses, he says the first witness is water. And he kind of personifies water and blood because he's going to talk about the spirit as the third one. But the first witness he calls to, to uh, profess and give testimony and testify about Jesus is the water. He says uh, in 1 John 5, 6, um, uh, I'm sorry, I, you've already seen that. He says in uh, Matthew three thirteen, starting in 13, he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Who are we talking about? John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John consented to baptize Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Amazing scene, right? This is the one where, I mean, Jesus comes in, and, 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 and to be there, we, we don't know what everybody saw or heard, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, I wish I could have been there to see this event. And, and it's tremendous as, 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 he see, as he sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove, right? That becomes important as we consider the testimony of the Spirit here in a few minutes. But notice there's more. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, get this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If you need a testimony, I think that's a pretty good one, don't you think? If Jesus Christ, if it was agreed that Jesus Christ's earthly ministry uh, began uh, at his public baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, that was confirmed by the presence of the Spirit and the audible voice of the Father saying, This is my Son, then that's pretty, that's pretty good testimony. As we go on to the second testimony, he says, uh, there's this testimony of the blood. Now, this is where there was disagreement amongst the false teachers and, and true believers. And John is confronting this. And he's saying they believe that Jesus' ministry started at his baptism. Uh, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain one aspect. Of this is not necessarily saying that these particular people believed what I'm about to say, but certainly this belief came from this, and it may have been true at the time, but there was a belief that, that the Christ indwelled Jesus, the man, at his baptism, and that, that the Christ left Jesus, the man, before the crucifixion. That's false teaching. That's heresy. That's not what we believe. But that's what church history chronicles for us. There were people that believed, that's what, and this is what maybe what John was confronting, is that they believed that Jesus, you know, his, his ministry was inaugurated 
uh, you know, but they don't agree in the, the blood because they believe that the spirit, uh, basically the, the spirit of the Christ left the body and just Jesus died. Do you see the problem with that? If just the man died, there's no substitutionary atonement. We studied this in uh, this week's uh, devotional this past week on Friday. We talked about it. You do away with sacrificial atonement. And, and uh, so, excuse me, substitutionary atonement. If you do away with that doctrine, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We've never been redeemed. We've never been saved because someone had to take our place. And that's what Jesus did. So John is confronting this. He's saying it's not just the water. It's the water and the blood. You have to take Jesus as the Son of God who has both these true of him. And they're only true of him. Uh, we see, this is just as an illustration, um, this text in Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, that's not the, that's not the words of God the Father giving testimony. Those are definitely the words of, of, man, of men. But I, I will say, it's still a testimony of what took place. And there were other testimonies saying that this was significant. Think about what was transpiring at the time of his death. It was dark for three hours. Jesus died. The veil in the temple, which I was reminded just uh, uh, in a sermon I was listening to, I was reminded, 60 feet tall. How, how tall do you think this ceiling is? I really don't know. Anybody have any guess? All right. Maybe 30, maybe 60. I don't know. But just imagine if that was 60. The veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. My understanding is that veil was six inches thick. No man ripped that veil from top to bottom. It was an act of God. You want testimony that Jesus is something very is somebody who's very unique? Well, at, at, at his death, signified by the blood, amazing things happened. And remember, the resurrection's right around the corner, but we're not there yet. We're just remembering the blood. And he's saying, listen, all this took place, and people knew something supernatural was taking place. He goes on to the third witness, which is the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we consider the Spirit, uh, it is the Spirit, by the way. And, and so there are, again, different uh, views on this, but I'm not going to go into those today. But as we consider the Spirit in John's Gospel, he says, But when the Helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, all right, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is, this is the, the role of the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we think of the text that we've been looking at, um, this spirit of truth bears witness. What is John talking about in, in this text? He says, there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. And I, and I have to go back. Unfortunately, I, I, I should have copied this verse, but here it is. Uh, nope, a little further. All right. It says, the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So that, this is in 1 John. John's pretty consistent in his, in his testimony. And he's saying the Spirit is the third uh, witness, and he is the one who testifies, and he is one who has the truth. And as we, again, look here, it is, it is, uh, it is the Spirit 
who bears witness about me. So, so what John has been saying is that there are three that testify, blood, water, uh, water, blood, spirit. And, and the amazing thing is they agree. Now, if you put yourself into a court of law and you have three witnesses and they all disagree, what are you going to think about that testimony? It's suspect. But if all three witnesses come in and say there's even more witnesses and they all say the same thing, then you have confidence in their testimony. What John is saying is that the witnesses of water, blood, and spirit all agree on who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of God. Can I get a witness? There we go. Yeah, you'll warm up to it, right? Now, if I had said it a little bit more exciting, it would have evoked more, right? But here we see that in verse 9, we're told something else. John tells us that there is one witness who we can trust above all others. And uh, this one witness is God the Father. Notice in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Well, that's kind of a, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, I had someone ask me, that's a duh, D-U-H, okay? I slur it sometimes, and I confused somebody a, a couple weeks ago when I said that, because they were like, what did he say? All right, no, I'm not cursing, I'm not saying anything, it's a duh, duh, right? The testimony of God's greater than a testimony of man, why? Because he's God. He's God. The testimony of men, what is that? Well, this is probably referring back to the text of Scripture in Deuteronomy 19, which, is probably, which kind of plays a role in, throughout the New Testament uh, with, with talking about witnesses. But it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. One person's word is not enough because you know what it's like when you have children arguing. It's, uh, you know, well, he said, she said. Well, who do I know? I don't know. He's saying this, she's saying this. I don't know. And, uh, and the idea, you had to have three, two or three witnesses. Well, John's providing three witnesses. That's what he's pointing out. And he says, if we receive the testimony, testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So I'm going to pause here. I don't know if I highlighted. Let me just see if I highlighted anything. Okay. For this is the testimony of God is referring to, I think, two things. It's referring to what the water, the blood, and the Spirit have already testified. First of all, we know the Holy Spirit is God, but we see that this is the testimony of God. God was in the working of those three, but it's also, I think, pointing forward to what's coming next, and specifically that he has borne, this testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. I don't have it highlighted, but again, if we can look here, that word I showed you earlier is testimony, materion, materio, testimony, all right? Uh, testimony. But another time, but you can't really see, is this word right here, born. He has born. It is the idea. God has said it, and the significance of him saying it, the consequences are, are still ongoing. It's that perfect tense that I keep talking about. God said it in the past, and it's still significant for today. And by the way, I didn't bring this out, but when you talk about the water and the blood, they're in the present tense. What does that mean? They still speak to us today. When we remember the water, Jesus' baptism, when we remember the blood, they are still part of our profession of faith. That Jesus Christ is, is fully God and fully man. And so this is, 
This is beautiful. But we see this, that he is born concerning his son. This is God the Father saying that Jesus is his son. God's testimony is, well, there you go, John, is that Jesus is his son. That, that's what verse 11 says. And this is the testimony. This is where we get the content of this testimony. That God gave us, right? It's been given to us. It's been revealed to us, all right? That God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This is the gospel. John has been preaching it since the very beginning of the book. He says, not only can I get a witness, but witness, because we know witnesses give testimony, right? We know, we know that this is what takes place. But the testimony can be believed or not believed. That's the dynamic that we find ourselves in today. There are people who, who have come to faith. Those are the ones born of God. Those are more than likely the people in this room. But maybe there's someone in this room, and certainly there are many out there, that have not believed God's testimony. And there's consequences to that. Basically, I think what, Jane, what John is saying is, can I get some faith? Can I give a witness that what I'm saying is true? But can I get some faith? Because as he looks at this test, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne. There's that word again. All right, we're seeing, we see testimony, uh, testimony and born. There's another one. Ten times that word. John is just saying, listen, Will you listen to the testimony of God the Father? He gave you water, blood, and the Spirit as, as testimony, but he's, now he's, he, but he's given his word. And he's saying those who believe in God's word that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? This is something we are called to believe. Reception, which I'm calling faith. Can I get some faith, right? Reception, which is faith of, of God's testimony. Uh... Uh, brings life to the one who believes. This is Christianity 101. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This reception, I'm calling faith, of God's testimony, brings, uh, comes with, I should have deleted brings, comes with confirmation by the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty of this text. Just going back here. Just, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, in herself. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, did your life change from the inside out? Did you, did you have, some, did you have some, some supernatural experience that would say, wait a minute, I'm different than I was a few moments ago. It's called being born again. I told you about Todd Snedeker. He's that soldier I led to the Lord uh, when I was in Iraq. And, and he's like, how do you know it's true? And we went through the gospel. We're talking about Jesus Christ and, you know, all, all aspects of it. And then he, and he comes to the point of faith and he prays. And when we open our eyes, he's in tears. And I'm like, Todd, what's wrong? He says, I know. Gives me goosebumps every time. It was the only time that ever happened to me. I mean, I've led other people to the Lord. But, but Todd is this, he's this living proof to me. All right. I have not had any contact with him. Uh, since a few days after that. But it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. God's Spirit opened his eyes, redeemed him. And he's saying, I know. I have. What he would be saying is, I have the testimony in myself. God's Spirit has confirmed with my spirit that what I just said I believe is true. 
And I hope, I hope that you, with every ounce of your being, can say, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because he says, if you believe, then you have life. If you don't believe, notice this, I'm sorry, rejection of God's testimony brings death to the one who calls God a liar. This is the sadness, right? This, people will reject the testimony of God. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is, this is the fate of all people, one or the other. So eternal life is found only in Jesus. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. That's what we've come to believe. We know that he's the central uh, point of this. God created man who fell into sin, and, and sin brought death into the world. But God did not want to leave us that way, so he sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and all those who come to faith have life. And I can say, can I have a witness? I can say, can I have uh, a faith? Uh, but listen, let's testify that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who became our substitute on the cross of Calvary. 